Right, let's get into the word. So we are looking at um, part four of what on earth are we here for? And um, if you have not read The Purpose Driven Life and you always wanted to, please do yourself a favor and get the book. If you don't have access to the book, come and chat to me afterwards. Um, we'll try and make a plan for you, but it's just really life-changing, and I want to encourage you to do that. But over the last um, four weeks, we've looked at um, the introduction, and then purpose one was um, that we are created for God's pleasure. Purpose two is that we are called to belong, to belong to God's family. Um, we actually get to belong to his family. And the third purpose, last week Jason spoke how we are called to become, to become more like Jesus, um, to mature, to actually, um, yeah, that, that he has great things for us and he wants us to become more like Jesus. So as I mentioned, this week we're getting on into our fourth purpose, which is that we are called to bless. We are called to bless others. That is the fourth purpose, okay? So you've created for God's pleasure, you're called to belong to a family, you're called to become more like Jesus, and then you are called to bless others others. And um, before we get any further, we can just pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word that it brings life. Please will you speak to every single one of us today in a way that we need to receive this word. Whatever stage of life we are in, whichever part of our journey we are on, would you minister to us so that we can grow, so that we can become more like you, and so that we can have a personal revelation of what it is to serve others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if we are called to bless others, how do we do that? Well, the way that you bless others is that you serve them. That's how you bless other people. You serve them. And there are many different ways that we serve um, we can serve through physical assistance, maybe it's financial assistance, um, emotional support, um, it could be even relational support. Um, there are so many different ways that we can serve others. Um, maybe it's a practical way, you know, even um, having somebody come and do something for you practically. We have a friend who um, will help us out with, with, with plumbing, and he serves us that way, and it's, and it's a practical support. But So there are many different ways that you get to serve people around you. And so what's exciting about this fourth purpose, about serving others, is that God actually has shaped us to serve him and others. He has shaped us. We don't have to try and figure it out by ourselves or try and find an identity. He has already shaped you. Now, I'm not going to unpack shaped too much because we do discuss it in growth track, but shaped is actually an acronym, and it's going to come up in a moment, and um, it's got five elements, how God has shaped you. He has shaped you with spiritual gifts. He has shaped you with a heart for a certain area or a certain ministry. He has shaped you with your abilities, so your talents, your skills, your abilities. He has shaped you with a personality. Isn't that wonderful? God's not saying you've got to all be the same. He's given you an individual personality. And has um, shaped you with your life experiences. You have experiences that shape you into the person that you are. And then he takes all of these things and he says, now, do something. So 
he, say, he looks at it and he says, come on now, I've given you spiritual gifts, I've given you a heart for a certain area, I've given you abilities, personality experiences, now do something with it. And how we do something with how we are shaped is that we serve others. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That verse says that we are God's workmanship. In other words, he didn't just decide, today I'm going to make redheads, tomorrow I'm going to do people with blue eyes. It was so much more intricate than that. We are a masterpiece. We are unique. He took time to decide how he wanted you to be created, who he wanted you to be. No two people are the same. We are all unique. Identical twins are not the same. So we are all unique. He has shaped us, um, to, he has shaped us in Christ Jesus to do good works. And he had, has already got a plan as to what those good works are. We just need to respond to um, what he's calling us to do. And so um, the good works that Paul is referring to in this verse that I just mentioned um, is called service. And another word is ministry, something that we know and that we can relate to, your ministry. It's the way that you help people. It's the way that you bless them, all right? So um, you weren't made to just take up space and to breathe and to live a self-centered life and then die. I mean, can you imagine if that's all we were created for? Just each and every day. Just to take up space, breathe, live a self-centered life, and then die. God put you here to make a contribution with your life. Did you know that? God actually created you so that you can make a contribution with who you are, with who he has shaped you to be. And that's called ministry. And also, if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write this down. My life calling is to be a bi-vocational minister of Jesus. Bi-vocational minister of Jesus. Now, what does bi-vocational mean? It's very similar to the word bifocal. So if you are half blind like Jason, who has multifocal glasses, okay? But bifocal is where you can see two things with clarity. You can see far and you can see close. Okay, so um, that is what bifocal means. So obviously you've got to learn to like, look through your glasses because normally the top is the one and the bottom is the other one, but you get to see far and near um, clearly. And so you, you basically can now see near and far at the same time because you don't have to change specs, you don't have to you know, do different things. You can actually do it at the same time. Now, when you are a bivocational minister of Jesus, it means that no matter what you do in life, you do them for two reasons. So two things um, that are clear, clarity on these two things, okay? So whether you are a truck driver, an accountant, whether you, your job is to make deals every day, whether you're a homemaker, whether you're a physio, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a student, whatever it is that you do, it doesn't matter what you do. If you are a Christian, there are two reasons why you do things for God, why you are a bivocational minister. And that is number one, to help others, and number two, to honor God. 
Those are the two reasons, okay, to help others and to honor God. In Colossians 3 verse 17, it says that, um, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You, in everything that you do, you are a representative of God. Everything that you do. So whatever you do, you can actually do it so that it's a blessing to others. Did you know that? Whatever you do, you can help others and bless God by having the right attitude, the right motivation. So, when you are asked to take out the garbage, no one likes taking out the garbage, okay? But maybe in that moment, you know it's going to be a blessing to your family. It's going to help. It's going to serve them. You do it because you love your family and you love God. Maybe it's cleaning the lounge. Maybe it's washing the dishes. Maybe it's helping somebody across the street, carrying groceries for someone. Maybe it is fixing, you know, a, a single mom needs help in her home to fix something. Whatever it is, whatever you do, everything in your life can be ministry. Everything. Everything in your life can be ministry, as long as you do it to help others and to honor God. So remember I said your motivation, your heart motivation needs to be right. Menial tasks, so things that we do every day that we may, maybe don't even think about, become meaningful tasks when I do it out of love for God. Menial tasks become meaningful tasks when I do it out of love for God. So what happens when I now begin to use um, this fourth, when I, when I begin to live out this fourth purpose in my life? What happens? What happens when I begin to stop thinking about me and start taking time to think about other people in my life? Not thinking about how I can be served, but how can I serve others? What happens? Well, it brings four amazing benefits. So I've got four points today. And the first thing that happens when we serve others unselfishly is that it will create joy in our life, in our lives. When you start serving others unselfishly, it will create joy in your life. And you know that most people are looking for happiness and fulfillment in all the wrong places. You don't find happiness, oh, you might want to get that. You don't find happiness in pleasure or in power or in possessions or in positions, prestige or popularity, okay? You don't find complete <laughs> eternal happiness in those things alone, okay? You, you, you don't find that. Um, those are the things that we tip in the world that we typically, typically look at. We look at those things. We, we think, okay, if I've got prestige, if I've got power, if I've got possessions, then I'm going to be fulfilled. But those things don't fill us completely. Success won't bring you eternal satisfaction. Can I be really blunt? And I think he's too young to understand. But sex will not bring you eternal satisfaction. Salary won't bring you eternal satisfaction. Now, everything that I've mentioned, these are all good things when done in the right way for the right reasons. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that these things are bad. 
I'm saying when they're done in the right way for the right reasons. For example, sex in marriage. Can I be that blunt? Okay. Earning your salary and using it for the right things. Wanting success to use it to honor God. If you have a great position, using it to honor God. So these things are not bad in themselves, but it's the motivation. It's why you are desiring them. And the thing is, is that even though all of these things are right and, in the, and can be used in the right way, do you know that they're all temporary? Every single one of them are temporary. You leave all of those things behind, okay? For permanent, ongoing joy, it comes through serving others. God wired us that when you give your life away to bless others and to honor God, that's when real joy flows into your heart. I know that that is such a controversial statement, giving your life away. But remember, when you give your life away in the way that you're shaped, it's not draining. It's joyful. When you are using who you are to bless others, you will not feel used. And so how do you experience this joy that I'm talking about? The first secret of joy is to get the focus off myself. The more you focus on you, the more miserable you become. They call it, I think it's navel gazing. When you only look towards yourself, you only try and fulfill yourself. You only try and find what makes you happy, okay? It'll make you miserable, it's not an accident that when you take the word miserable, okay, the word miser in the word miserable means a person who hoards rather than gives away. And the root word of the word, and the root word for, sorry, and miserable means unhappy. And the root word there is wretched. So basically you could say, that if you are a navel gazer, if you are someone who only puts attention on yourself and focus on yourself, you can basically say that you are a person who hoards rather than gives, and therefore you are unhappy and wretched. You've got to shift your focus from an inward focus to an outward focus, where it's all about God and all about others. When you begin to give your life away, the more you give it away, guess what happens? The more joy flows into your life. And again, like I said, not giving it in a way that, that drains you, giving it in a way in a way that you are wired. Um, if you're lacking joy in your life, if you are feeling unhappy, can I encourage you to start serving? Start serving your families. Start serving at work. Start serving those that you are relationally connected to. If you're a student, start serving those. Um, I, I heard an example of, you know, somebody has, uh, they're in a meeting, and these days everyone drinks takeaway coffee, um, and, you know, they, they leave the meeting and all the rubbish is left behind. Serving would be being the one who stays behind to clear up the mess, for example. Okay. Start finding a place where you can volunteer to give part of your time away and do nothing to, to, to get nothing in return. That would be serving to, for joy. 
And another way that you can also experience joy is by using the gifts to help others. So like I said, you know, you are shaped for who you are, and it's to help others. And when you use the gifts that God has given you, you actually end up feeling good. It's refreshing. It's life-giving. There's nothing better than using yourself in the way God has shaped you, and, and afterwards you just feel like, wow, that was amazing. Now, I, I'm just going to pick on her because I'm assuming that Cassidy loves doing worship because when I watch you, you are a light. Do you love doing this? But not for self because I know you. You're quite shy. You see? So I picked on her now and she's thinking, why did she do that? Okay? But the point I'm trying to make is, is that when the focus is in the right place and you are doing what you're shaped for, it will fill you and refresh you. My second point is that serving others unselfishly will improve your relationships. We all need to hear this one. Serving others unselfishly improves your relationships. Your relationships will get better the more you learn to serve others. And it's something we've got to practice. Now, you're all wired a certain way, okay? I am not naturally a very um, affectionate or demonstrative person with my words. But as I love Jason more and more, I realized that serving him would be to, to, to become more affectionate and using my words. Do I fail sometimes? Very seldom, but I do, okay? But the point I'm trying to, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that when you, when you love someone, when you love a community, when you love the people you work with, when you love your family, even if you don't love the people you work with, okay, you will learn to love them by serving them. Okay, so sometimes you've got to like get out of yourself. Now, the, the, the root word of every single, or the root, sorry, of every single relationship problem in your life is self-centeredness. Yes, there are other issues, but it all stems from, self, from, from selfishness, from self-centeredness. I want what I want, how I want it, when I want it. You want what you want, how you want it, when you want it, all right? And neither of us are willing to budge or give in to change something, and that causes conflict. You know, I don't know if any of you have ever heard some people refer to when you're married, you give 50%, they give 50%, makes 100%. That's not true. When you are married, you give 100%, they give 100%, and then you can actually work conflict out. And you can actually work out. And you know what? It goes for every relationship. My relationship with my sister was really, really bad a few years ago. We have tried to learn to hear each other, to talk, to, to work out conflict, that now we are on a much, in a much different place because we have been, because we've wanted to, to make it work, to hear each other, to support each other. And so it is possible in every relationship um, to um, meet each other the full way, not halfway. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. So when you don't know what to do, ask. 
In other words, when you have an ego, you're going to have conflict. It doesn't matter who you are, but when there's an ego involved, there's conflict. The more you practice to be unselfish, the more you learn to get over yourself and see the bigger picture and begin to serve unselfishly, it's going to change and improve all of your relationships. Because if you change, it changes those around you. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Fireproof. If you haven't, I would recommend that you watch it, not for the acting or because it was an Academy Award movie, but for the point of the movie, about unselfishness, about serving, even when the person doesn't want you to serve them. Okay, fireproof, go and watch it. So how do I learn to be unselfish? It's very simple, you copy Jesus. Jesus was the most unselfish person that ever lived. Matthew 20 verse 28 says that, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. Now, this is a very controversial statement in my opinion. And when I first read it, I thought, oh, okay. It says, don't try to be interesting, be interested. Now, some people are really good at it and some people are really bad at it. But you know what? We need to be interested in others. We need to take the time to be listeners. And don't work so much on yourself to be interesting but to actually be interested in others. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring, ru bring ruin on themselves. Isn't that interesting? Those who are kind benefit themselves. So we know we're going to benefit others when we're kind, but it's actually telling us that we're also going to benefit. Then the third point is that serving others unselfishly will prepare me for a bigger jacket. Please excuse me. Okay. Okay, it will, be, will prepare me for a bigger jacket. Now, when you have a certain responsibility, okay, um, you can look at it as wearing a jacket. We all have responsibilities, whether we are involved in serving a church, whether we have responsibilities at work, we have responsibilities as a student, um, whatever it might be, we have certain responsibilities and we have a jacket that we, we carry, we wear those responsibilities. But after a while, um, especially if you are honorable and you are faithful, that jacket becomes a little bit too tight, a little bit too small, and your arms start sticking out, you know, maybe the sleeves are a little bit higher, the jacket's a bit shorter, and it feels a bit tight, a bit uncomfortable, but if you're anything like me, the idea of putting on a new jacket isn't really that fun because you are comfortable, you're in your comfort zone with that jacket that you're wearing. You don't want to change anything because you're comfortable, right? Anyone relate to that? But because God loves you and he has a plan for you and because you're being faithful and because you're honorable and because you are um, really faithful in the responsibility that he's given you, he wants to give you a new jacket. But the problem is he doesn't just give you a new jacket that fits you perfectly. He usually gives you a jacket that's too big for you because you have to grow into your new responsibilities. 
And when you think about growing, right? Anyone remember growing pains? Very unpleasant. Keep you up at night, you know? Or anyone remember their children's teeth growing? They keep you up at night, you know? Growing pains are uncomfortable. And nobody wants to go through them. Nobody wants to feel the pain, the discomfort of growing pains. But God wants to grow us in our maturity, in our skills, in our confidence, in our passion. He doesn't want us to stay the same for 20 years. He says, I've got more for you. That jacket is now too small. There's more. But you have to be willing to take the jacket on. And it's exciting. So I've asked Irwin to help me. Okay. I've got a big jacket here. And... I'm using Owen as an example. Owen is on staff. Owen came onto staff and, you know, he was very comfortable in his jacket. Let's pretend, okay? <laughs> comfortable, okay? And um, we started giving him more responsibilities. So, you know, God looked at Owen and he said, Owen, you've been faithful. You've got a skill set that we can use. We want you, I want you to take on more. So he gives Owen a bigger jacket, okay? So he's got this bigger jacket on. And you can see it's too big for him. The arms are too big. The jacket, if he zipped it up, would allow air to come in. It wouldn't keep him warm. It's a, it's a bigger jacket, all right? And so what happens is, is that God gives him the jacket. He says, Erwin, you've been faithful. I want to give you more responsibility. And then Erwin says, but God, this jacket's too big for me. I can't wear this. It's uncomfortable. What, what am I supposed to do? I look silly in my, in my bigger jacket. He says, God, I'm too scared. I'm too insecure. I'm not ready for this position. And God says to him, Erwin, I want you to put the bigger jacket on because you are going to grow into that responsibility. You are going to stretch. You're going to be stretched. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yes. Is it going to be a little painful at times? Yes. But you've got the skill set. So, for example, with our church relaunching in September, we've had to relook at our um, constitution. And it's a huge job. And Erwin, um, being a, a previously, well, you still are, but a lawyer, we were like, you've got the skill set. But this was something he hadn't done before. So it has been stretching. He's taken on the worship team with Sam. Other areas in the church, life groups, it's all stretching stuff that hurts and is uncomfortable and unpleasant at time. But do you know um, what God says? He says, put the jacket on because I will never leave you nor forsake you as you grow. And everything that you do is going to be for the glory of God if you are willing to put on this bigger jacket and to fulfill what God has planned for you. Thanks, Irv. Give Irv a hand. <laughs> Irv. Let's call him Irv. And you know, there are two people in the Bible that um, you can see this happen. Moses and Gideon. God asked Moses to be the one who, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. But this is what Moses said. He said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel? Who am I? Anyone ever asked that question? But who am I that I must take on 
missions. I think of Jen and Jim who have come to another country, are doing, you know, they, they don't see their family. They, they, it's, 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 it's stretching. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. But this is what God's reply to Moses is, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. Then with Gideon, Gideon was asked by God to be part of uh, defeating the Midianites. He says to him, but God, um, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Anyone feel like the least in your circle of friends or your job or your family? This is what God said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So when God says to you, I want you to serve others, I want you to bless them, it will bring you joy. It will improve your relationships. It will prepare you for a bigger jacket. I know that the natural response is to say, but God, I can't. I can't fit another thing in. I can't imagine like taking time out to think about how to be kind to others. Um, at work, I'm focused. How can I still take time to be kind? God says, but I am with you. When I started in ministry, I started as a kids' church pastor, one Sunday service in the morning and youth on a Friday night. Then we went to two services, three services, kids' conferences, holiday clubs, assemblies at schools. Can you imagine standing in front of 1,200 children at a school and telling them about Jesus? I wasn't comfortable the very first time I did it. I wasn't comfortable the first time God asked me to run a holiday club with 150 leaders and 1,000 children. I was insecure. You can ask Tammy. I would say to Tammy, is this going to be okay? Have you got this? Have you done this? Was, was that all right? You know, you, there's a lot of insecurity, but God put the bigger jacket on, and he said, now I am with you, and I will help you, and I will grow you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. And we all ask the questions, but who am I that, that I should do this? Can I even do this? But God says, I will be with you. And some scriptures that you can note down, or you can take a photo. When you feel stretched, read 1 Peter 5 verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When you feel overwhelmed, read Psalm 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. When you feel inadequate, read Philippians 4 verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When you feel unworthy, read Matthew 10 verse 30 to 31. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. If you were not worthy, would he care how many hairs you have on your head? So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. When you feel like giving up, read Galatians um, 6 verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I think about people who serve in their gifting. 
carry. She would never in a million years have thought that she would fit into kids' church. My niece, Isabella, won't go to kids' church if Carrie is not there. Because she brings a comfort. She loves on the kids. She has shaped and serving in her shape. The worship team are here at 7 o'clock in the morning because they want to serve you. They are operating in their shape. And there are many, many other areas. I don't think it's always fun for the production team to be in the dark behind that big desk. But this would not be possible. The live stream wouldn't be possible. The things that we do wouldn't be possible. They are operating. They are serving others in their shape. And then lastly, I just want to leave you with this encouragement. Number four, that serving others unselfishly, you will leave a legacy. You will leave a legacy. You will leave a legacy in eternity, and that's where legacy matters the most. Because the things on the earth, they, they disappear. For those of you that know, a good few weeks ago, um, I went to Switzerland to help my family pack up my grandmother's flat because she's gone into an old age home, she's got dementia, and my dad lives here, and um, him and his wife and my sister and I went to Switzerland to pack up. And the thing about Switzerland is that nobody wants hand-me-downs. Nobody wants other people's stuff. Because everybody, even if you are poor, you are not poor. And do you know what really, really broke my heart? Was realizing, well, it didn't really break my heart. It was sort of more personal revelation. My grandmother lived in Nigeria for five years. My grandfather worked in the textile industry. She traveled all over the world. She was a hoarder. She had beautiful, beautiful furniture, um, jewelry, um, these guns from like World War I and African artifacts. And just she had the most beautiful things. But we could only bring so much back with us. And we had to throw it all away in the rubbish because people don't take stuff but you know what eventually those things would also be turfed by somebody else what was most important to me was the time we spent with my grandmother at the old age home visiting her day every day and her remembering us a little bit more and sharing memories and telling her we love her and her telling us that she loves us that to me is going to be a legacy. Remembering those visits with my gran. Remembering um, that she remembered us every day a little bit more. That's what I'm going to be left with. The stuff that we threw away, as heartbreaking as it was, that, that is not the legacy. So ask yourself, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Mike LaRufa and Anne, who were in our church, who, Anne is still in our church. Mike, who was in our church, helped start Milnerton, passed away a few years ago. And I remember at his funeral, listening to the tributes, and I was absolutely blown away. My heart was touched when people shared at every tribute how Mike was giving, serving, caring, unselfish. 
That was his legacy. And that meant the world to me, to walk away, to know that I had been a recipient of Mike's kindness and generosity. That meant the world to me. So what do you want to be remembered for? Matthew 20 verse 26 says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And so I want to encourage you with two things today. Number one, will you start unselfishly serving those in your life, in your home, your friends, your workplace? Just start somewhere. Just start one little thing. Even if you find it difficult, just do it. And number two, sign up for a serving team just to experience what it is. You don't have to sign up for that team. You could, you could just try it out. But just sign up for a team. Start somewhere. And then in closing, I want to read to you Lectio 365 ends each day. It's an app that you can download with a beautiful prayer that I think so sums up what our lives should look like. It says, Father... Help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say, amen. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? So I just want to encourage you today that it's not about not taking care of yourself. You still need to take care of yourself so that you can have the energy to do what God has asked you to do. But it's not about navel-gazing. It's about taking care of yourself so that you can do what God has called you to do, that you can do what He has shaped you to do. Thanks, everybody.